Ladies and gentlemen, you have made it to Brave to the Bone podcast, where we explore the dynamics of human courage in its most dynamic form, personal transformation. I am a nurse who left traditional Western medicine to explore the vast potential of healing that exists in our natural world. From psychic healers to psychedelic wellness, this is your source to your own human potential. Dana Harvey is the founder and facilitator of the Flourish Academy and a guest speaker on women in psychedelics at the upcoming Rising Consciousness Conference in Salt Lake City, Utah, March 9th to 11th. Dana is a microdose coach with 20 years of experience in supporting high impact leaders to rebalance their lives into an authentically fulfilled version of themselves. Today, she shares her story from a top CEO down to the vast opening of engagement in her own heart center. Today, we speak about women, empowerment, leadership, and in the field of psychedelics. Enjoy. Dana, thank you so much for coming to the show. I am so honored to have you here today. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and the work that you're doing? Sure, Tanya. Thank you so much for inviting me here today. I'm really pleased to be here and honored myself. My name is Dana Harvey. I'm the founder of the Flourish Academy, and I'm a psychedelics and microdosing educator and coach. So I work with people who are reading the headlines or hearing about the research results or have a friend or a friend of a friend who's used psychedelics, like they're hearing about psychedelics as, and their powerful potential for self-healing and self-growth and development. And they are deciding like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. Um, they don't necessarily know how, how to, how to, how to do it in a transformational way, let alone how to do it in a safe way or a knowledgeable way. So I work with them by providing loving guidance, sharing evidence-based research and cultivating supportive communities so that people can do this work really safely, knowledgeably and transformatively cultivating transformative communities. That's so amazing. And I know that you're speaking March 9th? Yeah, March March 9th till 11th at the Rising Consciousness Conference in Salt Lake City, Utah. Can you tell us a little bit about the community that you're building by speaking there? I have a very, very strong passion for supporting women in general, let alone in this space. It's something that I've I've always cultivated. I've I've worked in very male-dominated industries for most of my life and smashed a number of glass ceilings and was a woman in leadership. I felt it was my calling to support other women, even starting a nonprofit, the Women's Collaborative Hub. And then in the psychedelic space, I felt it really critical to to be a leader um, as a female in this space as well, because Although women and plant medicines and entheogens have been so intimately linked from the beginning of time, and although we've made such important contributions to science, advocacy, research, communications, in as psychedelics have come into the Western world, so very often our voices haven't been heard or our contributions haven't been recognized. And there is also a gap in leadership in the psychedelics space of of women in leadership. And so some of the issues that I think are really critical for us to be looking at, for example, around psychedelics and hormonal changes in women aren't necessarily being explored, not at the fault of men, but men don't have the experiences. So it's not top of mind for them. So I really feel passionate about championing for women in this space So I will be uh, doing a presentation called uh, Women in Psychedelics, A Brief History and a Vision for the Future. And in that presentation, I've actually solicited videos from 20 leading women in the psychedelic space to create a montage of what our shared visions can be and a chance, a platform for women's voices to be heard. And I, I hope for that to be just the beginning of a larger conversation that more women and men, old, young, all genders, all races can contribute to, to make the whole psychedelic space just more balanced and more equitable in general. So I'll be, I'm also moderating a panel there, which is going to be 
awesome. It's called Mushroom Mysteries of the Divine Feminine. And that is a, a panel of some of the leading women, witches, sorcerers, shamans, people really on the healing side of psychedelics that are going to be sharing their work with women and women specific issues. So I'm quite excited about that. Oh, I'm so excited too. And I can't wait to get into um, the details of the hormonal stuff. That's such a beautiful aspect to bring to the table. And thank you so much for being a leader and breaking all these ceilings and championing women, as you said. Would you like to take us back before we get into the details about your past and where you came from and how were you a woman that was able to rise and then eventually um, into the psychedelic field? My entry into doing this kind of frontline facilitation and guiding work is quite different than a lot of people in this space, in this industry, in that I don't necessarily come from a healing work type of background. It's something that I've always done on the side. I have, you know, had training in in yoga, in breath work, in mindfulness, and I have coached and mentored people with a specific passion for women in confidence and in life transformations and in, in mindset for over 20 years. However, my main line of work has been very corporate on the very corporate side, uh, leading global communications for countries all are for the companies all around the world and working my way up to um, C-suite positions in predominantly new industries and disruptive technologies. So having a real niche specialty in that field, it was kind of logical that I was recruited into psychedelics as an industry and was CCO and head of investor relations for one of the leading globally traded psychedelic companies. Can you tell us what disruptive technologies is for those of us who don't know? Mm-hmm. Disruptive technologies are just any technologies that are coming out and really shaking up what we've always known. For example, you could call psychedelics a disruptive technology because it is a technology that is really disrupting our, our models of healthcare and mental health care and the pharmaceutical industry that has not changed in over 50 years, despite the rising, you know, pandemic levels of mental health crisis and addiction. Um, It's, it's just simply not working. So um, that psychedelics are in fact, an example of a disruptive technology, as well as a new an emerging industry, because it hasn't really been an industry before. So were there things that you were able to overcome that you were able to bring into the space in the corporate world first? Were you born a leader? That's (laughs) such an interesting question. I think one of the things that really contributed to me gravitating towards leadership positions was, number one, I wouldn't say necessarily a natural born leader, but a natural born community builder, you know, always like starting clubs in school, gathering people together, you know, creating little communities. And I think the other thing that I had, which was a real advantage, was uh, a very strong mother, a very strong female role model in my life. In fact, a number of strong female role models having come from, you know, a long line of, of highly intuitive Irish women and, uh, and pioneering people. But my mom was, you know, a a top corporate leader herself in an era when there weren't very many female top corporate leaders. And my parents both raised me in a very equitable way, I would say, you know, I have an older brother, but I never felt restricted from by my gender in my family, I was given the message that anything I set my mind to, I can do. And I never faced any restrictions that were different than my brother because I was female. Sometimes I felt a difference because he was older than me, he got to do some things, but I never felt like it was a gender thing. So I didn't grow up with feeling that restriction. I remember actually in university taking um, a women's studies course. They were having us list all our female characteristics and all our male characteristics. And I put my hand up and I said, you know, I wasn't kind of raised to think about my characteristics as being female and male. I haven't thought about this before. I've always just thought they were Dana characteristics. (laughs) And, And the instructor actually like 
snarked at me and said, what planet were you raised on? Yeah. And put such a bee in my bonnet that I, I wrote my entire thesis for that course on the anti-feminist movement, <laughs> just, just to see what kind of a response I would get. But yeah, I think I was, I was very fortunate in my upbringing. Oh, that's so amazing. That's a really strong feminine background. And I know that you're speaking to the sacred feminine when you get to speak at the Rising um, Consciousness Conference. Would you say that you were aware of your own sacred feminine or did that take some learning and education and what did that look like? I think it's something that we are constantly reattuning to. And the first step was me understanding that there actually are like male and feminine characteristics. And then, yeah, learning, learning how to nurture them. I think I was very heavy on the, what traditionally would now be called the male characteristics, the real doing goal oriented, you know, get, get shit done kind of thing, rather than the more fluid female characteristics. And even like in my exercise and stuff, it was all like really hardcore kind of cardio stuff before I learned to soften into some real yin kind of practices. It was all really yang stuff. And so I I think a little bit of, of getting attuned to that as well. Although when I do talk about, you know, my, my heritage, strong female lead leaders and intuitive, highly intuitive women, they're all very femininely inclined, uh, just, just strong women. Out of university, I was posted in Thailand developing markets for next generation wireless data. And my, my territories were Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, and Burma. And I did uh, my master's thesis on uh, kind of the difference between female leaders in Asia versus female leaders in Canada, where I am. First of all, I was really surprised that there were more top female leaders in business in Southeast Asia than in Canada, because we have this concept of these being such male dominated cultures. However, um, a lot of, of women came into the businesses through their family and they are leading empires. And at the time, uh, my female mentors in Canada were telling me as I was rising in, into leadership in business, they were saying, get your shoulder pads in, brush up on your sports terminology. If you're going to play where the boys are, you got to talk like the boys are do. You got to look like the boys do wear pantsuits, don't wear skirts and mentoring me in this way. And then I went to Asia where the women were extremely feminine and embraced that femininity and said, well, we're different than the men. We do business differently than the men. Why? You don't have to hide that. They embraced it as a strength. So I think from having that from a really young age as a female kind of shaped me in my own business development as well as well and when you left the corporate world did you really sink into that softness and yin energy in a much deeper way um or did you leave because you wanted that wanted were ready was it a both and both and and one of the reasons that I left is I am I guess I I'm a recovering workaholic so I was just working too much, too long, too hard. And part of what I wanted to do was to uh, be more gentle and caring, not only to others, but to myself. So it's something that I've really been working on and cultivating. And I very quickly slipped back into old habits, but (laughs) I continue to work on it. And we had talked earlier this week and you were mentioning we were on a live, which was just amazing, but you were talking about how psychedelics in their own nature tend to work more feminine. Would you mind giving us some understanding of the sacred feminine and then kind of taking us to how does it reflect in in psychedelics themselves? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a characteristic of psychedelics that has often been noted in that is that they have a much more of a yin energy and they are very fluid, non-linear flowing, which could be described as a a divinely feminine type of way of being in the world. And I think one of the great things about psychedelics, having that sort of feminine way about it is that everybody is experiencing this. And it's a beautiful opportunity for men as well to really get in tune with their own feminine energies 
in a in a powerful way, not a shameful way. And I think if you look at a lot of the male leaders in this space, you really see them tuning into their own femininity as well. And I see across the board a, a greater balance of male and female energies, ways of being, characteristics coming just across all of us, just a, a much more equitable and I think like personally accepting all parts of who we are, you know, looking at ourselves as entire wholes at whole beings and being okay with having that balance of yin and yang, not having to be specifically one way or specifically the other. Did you have a personal experience with psychedelics that really moved you to lift the veil of this nature a little bit more that you'd like to share or I did. Yeah, I did. It's, you know, with, with psychedelic experiences, they can be very ineffable and hard to put into words, but I did have one experience in particular with psilocybin, uh, with a guided journey with two therapists. And when I was doing a lot of deep work with psychedelics and I was just hit with this realization that I needed to, it wasn't, it wasn't so much about like the divine feminine or the feminine characteristics, but it was just, you know, what I needed to do was to do what I thought I was doing a really good thing uh, in my C-suite role of educating, destigmatizing, bringing um, acceptance and accessibility to these fields, but from a 40,000 foot level. And this clear message that I had is you need to come down from that 40,000 foot level and you need to be working heart to heart with people now. Um, People are going to be hearing about psychedelics everywhere. It's mainstream media. What you need to do now, Dana, is use your heart, not your brain so much and just connect with people, help them to connect with themselves and with others and uh, and move in a softer way. That is so beautiful. It's so interesting that you are already there. You know, a lot of people talk about wanting to get up to that 40,000 feet level, but you were there, you've done it, having the option to really land into your heart and work there. That's just incredible. Yeah, yeah I feel so blessed every single day. And I, I just came out of that journey. Like I was just right to like walk into work the next day and be like, okay, I quit. <laughs> it was just, it was that clear. Right. But I did the proper things. I did full on integration. I spent a bit of time. I made plans. I talked to, you know, my mentors and, and also I was uh, super blessed that uh, my own uh, psychedelic therapist, who's very, very, very experienced and revered had, more confidence in me than I even had in myself and agreed to take me under his wing to allow me to apprentice under him to get like firsthand experience while on the parallel to that I was diving deep into the training into integration training into trauma-informed somatic integration into microdose coaching into breath work into all the modalities that can complement the psychedelic so I was able to do like the academic type work and then to get the hands-on with him and to take a bit of a breath before I actually, um, as I say, I retired from my corporate career. I have no intention of going back there. Oh, it's amazing. So you didn't come from a healing background, but you started to heal on your own. Did you change as a person and could you feel and deeply understand the neuroplastic effects of working with psychedelics and doing your own somatic healing? Could you see those characteristics change and how did you change in your life from then? Oh, absolutely. Um, (laughs) I don't even know if I can put that into words. I think, I I mean, the biggest manifestation of it is moving from, from the career that I had into something completely new and uh, just giving myself, giving myself space and yeah, just having that opportunity to have real heartfelt connections with myself And with others, my meditation just exponentially, um, I don't know if you say increased, but became so much deeper through, uh, through this period of time, which I attribute to work with psychedelics. And many people do find that, you know, because psychedelics and deep meditation 
can mirror the effects in their brain can mirror each other. They tend to complement each other. And I definitely have found that so much. And these really critical um, practices for keeping well and keeping balanced became really innate to me, which is so important because for those of us who are doing this frontline work, one of the most important things we can do to support and hold space for other people is to make sure that we support and hold space for ourselves first. So yeah, sacred space is just a valuable thing. And I think a lot of women do, I hear from a lot of women that we, we tend to be just driven by our adrenal responses. It's that go, go, go mentality. And then learning how to uh, slow down, no matter how you do it is like the most transcending and amazing thing. I know that you were a community builder and you've collaborated with all these leaders in the psychedelic field with their videos, which I I can't wait to hear about, but how did your community um, involvement evolve as you kind of opened up into the space? So you did all that studying and then, because I can see you continue to be a champion in the community building until you got the opportunity to speak at this festival, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, community building is innate for me. I think it's because I I always just find so much value in in community. It's something that's always been important to me. But also, I think in the psychedelic space, community is so important. We need safe spaces where we can be vulnerable where we can share and talk and learn from other people who are doing this work or who are interested in this work. You know, it still is uh, very underground in so many ways. We need to make sure that we have safe spaces. And it, it's also been been proven. And I have, you know, anecdotally seen in, the own, in my own groups that I run uh, when I run microdosing cohorts is that the healing And the development can be so enhanced and accelerated when you are learning and experiencing within a group. So that's why it's always been important for me to work not only one-on-one with people, but also to create small groups where we can work together, particularly, you know, around that microdosing uh, coaching or guidance, I would say. I've also, you know, I have a few other communities. So I am the co-founder of Vancouver Women in Psychedelics which is in my local community. Uh, And another local community that I've developed is Vancouver Microdosing Community. And then uh, globally, I have a platform platform on Clubhouse, uh, the Flourish Academy Club of over a thousand members. And we hold rooms four days a week for people to learn, grow and share together. I have a co-moderator there who helps me run a couple of the rooms. So we have Tuesday to Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, you can join the Flourish Academy family. And we have people who are curious, people who are new, people who are experienced, and tons of professionals. So you can come to share your stories. You can come to get support. You can come and have a little bit of integration support. And what we tend to do is we alternate our rooms between having a guest speaker one week and then our open forum share and care rooms the second week. And our communities are just attracting some of the the greatest practitioners, scientists, ethicists, lawyers, professionals in this whole space to come and speak to to our communities. So we have uh, on Tuesdays, we have Haya Moon's Multiverse, which is a room that discusses the intersection of cannabis and psychedelics and sort of current events, anything that's kind of top of mind and doesn't fit neatly into any of the other buckets. My co-moderator's name is Haya Moon, so it's her multiverse on Tuesdays. And on Wednesdays, we run a room that's called Cannabis, Entheogens, and Women's Wellness, which is a beautiful room to talk about anything that that touches specifically on women. However, what I really love about this room is probably half of the participants every week are men. And I think that's so critical too, is, I mean, this isn't a conversation about women isn't something to do in isolation it's something to to bring everybody into and to help share and educate and I mean everybody's someone's mom or sister or friend or you know has a a special woman in their life that they would like to support and understand so um, I love that room for that reason 
And Thursdays is Psychedelic Microdosing 101. And Fridays was formerly Psychedelic Trip Sitting 101, but it became so broad that we eventually changed the name to Psychedelics 101. So these are all free community events and activities that we provide just because we're so passionate about making sure that people have the opportunities to, to be safely, lovingly guided, to learn knowledgeably from evidence-based research, and to have that supportive community to share, learn, and grow with. I'm so excited for your presentation that you're doing with a collaborative video of all the leaders. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to that idea and what you've learned so far from creating it? Sure. Well, I, I was slotted to do this presentation on the history of women in psychedelics and the vision for the future. And then I thought, well, you know, my vision is only my vision. Like what, what is the collective co- the collective vision, and not only what is the collective vision, but how can we collaborate to make it happen, right? So that was kind of the impetus, just when I was just thinking about what am I going to include in this presentation, where I thought, well, let's, let's go and find out, you know, it's not who kind of who cares about my vision, I'm one little person, you know, but um, I would have loved to have many, many more um, voices in this too. And I would like to have, as I said, all genders, ages, races, cultures have their voices heard too. So I do see this as just the beginning. This platform in particular was for women's voices, but um, I'd love to, I have some plans to, to sort of continue this into a bigger project where it's just going to hopefully be a catalyst for a more equitable and balanced psychedelic space in general. Did you approach um, women saying, what is your vision for the future? Was that the question? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I had a brief background on on the the brief history, like I explained, you know, how we women, plants have always been intimately linked and there's a bit of an imbalance now in our recognition. And this is a platform for our voices. And what, what would you like, like if you could see the psychedelic future, a balanced psychedelic future, what would you see happening? And so it was an opportunity for them to voice their hopes, their dreams, their frustrations, their struggles, and their ideas for action. Was there a common thread of, you know, everybody has different backgrounds of championing whatever field they were coming from, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of helping lead the way. Was that a common thread or what were some of the common threads that you were like, this is interesting? You know, I think the most common thread, which I was so grateful to see, was that this is a conversation for everybody and it takes the divine feminine, it takes the divine masculine. And again, you know, all genders, races, cultures, all of us working together with open hearts and open minds, making sure that we are listened to and that we listen to others and that every voice is heard. So because our voices as women have not necessarily been heard or revered in the past, this is an awesome platform to have an opportunity to do it, but that's not what we see for the future. We see equality, balance, justice, and that's what we're all striving for. Oh, that's so powerful. I'm so excited. What a neat idea. Thank you so much for broadening um, the view and to include so many other people. Uh, It's so, it's just going to be marvelous. I'm so excited. I am excited too. (laughs) So um, is there anything else that you were experienced and kind of gained from doing the work you've done in preparation? In preparation for the conference? Yeah. Yeah. Well, interestingly, uh, this is a really different conference than most or any of the other psychedelic conferences that have taken place to date. It doesn't sort of have the big name corporate backing that a lot of the other conferences have had. It's really a conference that is for the frontline workers, the healers, the shamans, the the guides, the coaches, and all the different elements that go into supporting us and the education that we need to do our work. So it's smaller. It's uh, 250 people live. And we have just as of today launched an online opportunity as well. So you can attend virtually, which I'm super excited about because not everybody can be there. 
the price point has been kept very low and affordable. Uh, accessibility is really important to us. It does have a just a phenomenal lineup of speakers with a strong emphasis on female speakers. And of course, the, uh, the panel that I'm moderating as well. And it also has a lot of experiential elements. So there is a sound bath. There is an ethics workshop that we all get to participate in. You know, ethics in the space are so critical and there are so many different elements around ethics that need to be considered. So our, our idea is to collaborate to create a, an ethics framework for us in the front line. There will be a, a, a session on next steps at the end of the conference. So everything that we've learned at this conference, how can we actualize our learnings? How can we actually make this space so better, safer, more just? Yeah, exactly. And it also has uh, quite a, a deep emphasis on microdosing as well, which has not been so much at the forefront in the past. We have some great speakers around microdosing. We have Laura Dawn, Live Free Laura D, she's called. We have Paul Austin from The Third Wave, Connor Murray, he's a PhD who's studying the neurobiology and neuroscience of microdosing. And he has some amazing new research results to oh, reveal wow. there. Oh, yeah. So, and you know, a lot of, because most of the research to date has been around the macrodoses of, of psychedelics, there hasn't been so much done on microdosing, but it is changing. So that's kind of cutting edge to, to reveal some of those research results and also to help a lot of the frontline workers who have traditionally been working in the higher doses are interested in how, how do the higher doses and the microdoses interrelate and what's different about them, even how they work in the brain, but also how to guide people through them. How can they support each other? Maybe as maybe using microdosing as prep or integration for the bigger journeys. So it's a, a an area of a of big high interest for a lot of the frontline workers, and we're really pleased to be able to do a bit more of a deep dive into the microdosing side than most of the conferences have done to date. Oh, that's so great! I'm so glad to hear it. I was at Meet Delic, the Las Vegas uh, psychedelic conference, and there was just a small panel on microdosing, and then. There's always these people that come up and um, ask questions about microdosing versus the placebo effect. Like a lot of people just don't see the benefit. And it's so unfortunate because there's such a huge benefit for a multitude of, of reasons. It can begin so much uh, as a doorway for you to move into further psychedelic work. And, you know, obviously with creativity and insight and mindfulness, and as you mentioned, meditation, the neuroplasticity, which I can't wait to hear the doctor, as you mentioned, talk about the studies, because that is really interesting. And we're all so different as human beings, women, that we it's all about empowerment. And that's the work that you do. It's about empowering people to remember that they are their own healer and their their own guide. And we are so different the way we do it. And I'm sure, um, or you tell me, have you seen how unique and different people have in, in their own evolution process of the work that they do in their journey to microdose? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Every, every single person is different. And, and it comes back to, you know, not only your physiological, physiology, your makeup, your past, your, your traumas, your triumphs, um, but your intentions going into microdosing, there are a lot of benefits that can be had from microdosing that are actually completely unrelated to whatever intention you have going in, which is just amazing that you just all these little side benefits come up. And you're like, Whoa, that's cool. That's cool. But I, I do think the things that you were just saying about microdosing, I so agree on as in, you know, we all have our own innate inner healers. I completely believe that. We actually do have the power to create new neurosynapses ourselves. We have the power to, to create our futures by what we think. And so I always work with my clients for a good few weeks on mindset and on their, you know, um, activating their own inner intuition and, and inner healer before we even kick in microdosing. And although uh, there's been recent um, microdosing research that hints at the microdosing being a placebo, um, there's a lot of considerations to take into how those research, those trials were carried out that don't take into effect the mindfulness around the dosing, the uh, 
complementary modalities that come into the dosing, the, the dosing in every day, they're very clinical. And that's something that Connor Murray, the neuroscientist actually addresses because he was involved in the recent UCLA study uh, about L- LSD and microdosing, which hinted at placebo. And he said, yeah, but you know, you only took it like something like you only took a couple of doses for four or eight days. It wasn't like a longer period of time. And it was like in a clinic and you had to report your, you know, on a tick list, what your findings were. So um, what he's finding neurobiologically is that a lot of the same things that happen in your brain uh, with the higher doses are actually happening in your brain at the microdose level. So that kind of could potentially debunk the placebo argument, potentially, I don't want to say anything out of line here. And, but um, my bottom line on it is who cares exactly. <laughs> if it's working. Exactly. Awesome. Embrace it. <laughs> Definitely. You know, I really appreciated how you, when you spoke of traumas, you included triumphs. I don't think that's said very often. I like how you said our traumas and our triumphs. How did you come to a place to where you included both those words together and um, how empowering to put it together with our triumphs? There's so much talk of trauma lately and very little is ever mentioned of triumphs. Did that just come from education or was that a personal? I, I don't know. I just feel so strongly that those are the two things that make up who we are is, is yes, our traumas shape us, but yes, our, our triumphs do as well. And I know, um, you know, I have a little personal um, seance with my ancestors on a daily basis. And that's what I'm always grateful to them for, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm grateful for your traumas. And I'm grateful for your triumphs, because I am embodying them today now as your ancestor, I think that uh, they're just it's just, like you said, it's so empowering to recognize and embrace our triumphs and to celebrate ourselves as human beings and not just focus on our shadows or our, our traumas. There's so much more to us that's to be celebrated. And we can't look at trauma in a vacuum because the triumphs very often are built on them. We we stand on that reconstruction after the deconstruction of what was before yeah, absolutely. It's really encouraging. I think I'm going to, if anything, I'm going to take that with me when I talk about trauma with people. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I really just feel so strongly that we need to celebrate and recognize all of our goodness and our beauty and our amazingness. <laughs> so in conference, how much time do you get to spend on sharing um, each of these women their stories or video that they've sent in was it just because uh, I can't imagine it'd be very very long when you no no I wish I had more I, I I'm looking forward to this just being the building of a of something bigger that will really be a catalyst for action uh, we have a half an hour to prepare that or to present oh, yeah, the very... video montage but and... you're making a quilt yeah it's gonna yeah yeah incredible yeah. absolutely can you give us some examples of the people that you are um, putting in this that are involved Ah, sure. Um, Mama Ayana Iyi. People who work with um, all sorts of plant medicines. and Absolutely. Courtney Barnes is a lawyer who works uh, on, the, on the legal side of psychedelics. We have Giotima. We have Kayla Dilamaiko, who runs the Mushroom. I think it's just called the Mushroom Club on Clubhouse. And she's very much into psychedelics, particularly psilocybin around childbirth and pregnancy and breastfeeding and these oh, kind wow. of parts, right? Yeah. Can you give us a little bit of insight? Cause I've never had anybody speak before about hormones. You were t- um, mentioning that, and I'd love to address any information that we can glean from you at all about um, how psychedelics can help uh, all our processes. Cause it's, it's very confusing you know, even being 40, any type of minimal changes, you don't have a lot of spaces to talk about it or to understand it. It's a landscape that we don't really get to dive into. You know, there's people are told you have hot flashes or night sweats. And like, that's all we're given as far as like a picture of menopause. And Absolutely. 
Well, I am not an expert. I have to say I am learning and I'm passionate about learning. And I have this awesome opportunity to learn by inviting experts into the Flourish Academy rooms. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at a high level, psychedelics affect us uh, mentally and physically, right? Like through our entire bodies, as do our hormones. And so many uh, of women's, our mental health issues, but also our just our state of mind, our mentality is affected by our hormones. So when you talk, when you hear about all the things that psychedelics have the this powerful potential to heal from depression to anxiety to, um, you know, even, even problems with sexual desire, these are all hormonal issues for women. And so how are they tied intimately to not just your state of mind, your, your mental state, but how, how do they interact with hormones is what I'm really interested in. And I know from the clients that I work with, particularly menopausal and perimenopausal women, that microdosing can alleviate the symptoms to a huge degree. Other times they may not alleviate the symptoms, but they change the woman's relationship with the symptoms, you know, from you know, suffering from hot flashes or, or suffering from night sweats now being anointed by love and joy. <laughs> you know, I see it differently now. I no wow. longer suffering. I'm blessed with these kind of symptoms of, of my, the season of my life, you know? So I just think there's a lot of opportunity to explore and a lot of, you know, James Fadiman's citizen research around microdosing and as, as well anecdotal with my own clients with um, P PMS and PMDD and really horrible menstrual pain um, are really finding that the pain is being alleviated and or their relationship with the pain is changing in a way that makes it much more manageable and bearable. So I'm really excited about the future of research and study that can go into this to support it and to support us to better support other women in having a better relationship with all of our different seasons of our lives. And then in turn with everyone else in our life. And true. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll make the whole world a better place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so beautiful. Can you just share a little bit? Because I know there's a lot of people that are hesitant because of their coming from a recovery standpoint. Have you had some women get a little bit more comfortable with allowing themselves to heal using uh, microdosing psilocybin? How has that emerged or, or have you had that issue come up? Yeah, absolutely. There is a 12-step a, a recovery group called PIR, Psychedelics in Recovery. And uh, I have a number of clients who are part of PIR. Uh, it's a very supportive group for people who um, are using psychedelics in a non-abusive way to aid them in their recovery. And they in that within that group, they are accountable for making sure that they're not using it in using these substances in a way that would be considered a harmful, abusive, addiction, addicted, um, et cetera. And um, what I found with everybody I've worked, like not every, not every single person, but both genders, like gender independent is uh, pretty much all of us have some kind of compulsive tendency, some kind of a compulsion that we turn to, to, to mask pain or to blunt emotion or to tune out. And uh, they, they become almost like subconscious behaviors. It could be like two, three glasses of wine in the evening. It could be online shopping. It could be coffee. It could be cigarettes. It could be anything. And the number of people who I work with that come in to work with microdosing, not for those reasons. Mm -hmm. And then a few weeks on, they're like, hmm, you know, it's really funny, Donna, but you know, I just, just not feeling, I, I've been like a five cups of coffee person for the last 20 years and something's just happened. I just don't feel like having coffee anymore. So I switched to tea or, you know, just, um, you know, I, oh, I used to have, you know, a glass of wine when I was cooking dinner and then I'd have one with dinner and then I'd have one afterwards. And I don't know, wine just isn't sitting so well with me anymore. I just kind of have drinking soda water now. It's like just amazing that whatever that tendency is that we may have to blunt or dull or escape, 
or, or maybe, maybe where we're not feeling whole or full to kind of help us make, make us feel that way, just kind of seems to drop off. It's fascinating to me. I, I experience it myself too. And I try not to lead people when I'm, when I'm working with them, guiding and coaching and microdosing to say, but I just kind of sit back and wait to see what might come up because it's, it's pretty across the board. I just want to demystify this for people because I feel like part of the work is really reminding people of their own intuition. How does that look like um, when you work with people? How how do you particularly kind of remind people to go, oh, well, look back and uh, at yourself and how do you feel about it? And, you know, encouraging others to follow that intuitive guide. It's kind of a because most of us haven't listened, you know, yeah. we've been empowered enough to listen. To yeah, that. yeah. I would say it's it's a plethora of, it's different for every person. Um, and it, it involves, you know, bringing in different modalities, bringing in different exercises, different tools. One of the greatest tools that I've found uh, with so many clients is the exercise of free flow journaling, which is basically making space every day, 10 minutes. That is it. That's all you need. Sitting down with your pen and your and your piece of paper. And it does need to be handwritten because of the way that our left brain and our right brain come together when we're handwriting. And setting the timer for 10 minutes and not letting your pen leave the paper. You don't stop to think. You don't stop to edit. You don't stop to reread. Um, you just don't stop. Even if what you're writing is I hate doing this stupid exercise. I don't even know why I'm doing it. This is dumb. I'm just trying to fill up space, but you just 10 minutes. And then when your timer goes off, you're done, put it away. And then sometime later, later the day, later that night, later that week, sometime later, go back and look at what came out because it's amazing how your subconscious can be revealed through this exercise of free flow writing. So I would say that's one of the tools that I use. Um, yeah, it works. It's fascinating. And we do a lot of tracking. And then I also, I really believe that, um, you know, the, the three-step process to really flourishing, I would say is number one, know yourself. Number two, love yourself. And number three, make empowered decisions. So that's really what I work on with people. And when I say make empowered decisions, that is creating your own reality, creating your own future. It's taking, for example, a limiting belief that you may have and flipping it on its head and deciding it's going to be something else. I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. Just, um, you know, let's, let's just say um, it's really hard for me to have uh, relationships with my siblings. I don't have good relationships with my siblings. Let's just say that that's your, your experience. That's your limiting belief. Um, and you really want to make a new empowered decision that I have a healthy relationship with my siblings in whatever way, shape or form that might take in order for you to feel that way, make the decision, write it down, write it down many times a day, repeat it to yourself many times a day, put it on your mirror set your alarm on your phone three times a day, stop and tell yourself, I have relations, I have healthy relationships with my siblings. And then start to look for evidence, any kind of evidence that will support that new decision. Because what we're doing is we're activating the reticular activating system in our brain that usually filters out anything that doesn't support our reality, which has been, I don't have a good relationship with my siblings. Everything that might show that you did you you do have some little healthy pieces here and there your reticular activating system is just siphoning that out and we're training our brain to start taking notice of that just like you know like say you bought a new kind of car or you're thinking about buying a new kind of car a, a red mercedes and as soon as you decide that you're going to buy a red Mercedes, all of a sudden you're driving everywhere. All of a sudden you see all these red Mercedes. You, then you never saw them before, right? Because you weren't thinking about them. So train your brain, make a new empowered decision, and then you can start um, making it your reality and really listening to what's going on for you. I love that because you can be coming from 
any walk of life, like any situation, and you can make this fit that situation, no matter where you are, what you're doing. So that's really, really flexible and fluid and, and empowering, you know? And then once we start to live with a, a life of more empowered decisions, the feeling of empowerment is just great because we get to settle down more into our lives. And um, I've been really playing with this idea of perceptual refinement, especially when it comes to how we see ourselves and then therefore how we are in the world. We have to take a step of empowerment just to get to that place where we do begin to have perceptual refinement or it's almost like radical responsibility for our self-perception you know yes it's big stuff it'd be it's it's um it's stuff that we can't talk about so I really appreciate what you do I'm really glad you came on today because these communities that you're building are so important you can't share a lot of the stuff in your healing journey that you're experiencing when you are committed to a microdosing practice with anybody really because it's so unusual and it's very profound to you very special a little thing that may light you up and change your entire world may be something that nobody else can understand absolutely I've yeah. seen yeah you know, tiny things like um, just a movie and you just can't shake why that movie hit you and then a week later you're like crying because of some dynamic that happened and boom you know it's just it's just um, unexpected and, and amazing so I think it's wonderful what you're doing and I'm um, so grateful to have you on is there anything that we didn't get to go over that you'd like to share well you know Tanya I'm just really grateful for the work that you're doing in this space as well and providing a platform for for people to speak about these topics and helping to again you know spread education and awareness and I think we're it's, you know, similarly after a same goal of, you know, having these, these opportunities be ac- acceptable mm-hmm. and accessible to all people who need them. The world is in dire need of help. <laughs> and if we're able to play any little role in that, then I think we're doing, doing something good in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm in 100% agreement. How can we find you? Well, you can find me on Clubhouse. If you download the Clubhouse app and just search for the Flourish Academy, you can be kept in the loop of all our rooms. And uh, you can find me on all the social channels, the Flourish Academy, and also theflourishacademy.org. So there is the the, and it is the org. Otherwise, I think you go to some like photography site or something. (laughs) So... Well, thank you so much. And and also you can find me at Rising Consciousness Conference this in two weeks, uh, the 9th to the 11th of March at uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah. Are you going to have your um, presentation recorded and on your website? Because it's just- I certainly will. I you bet. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm, I'm going to try and set it up in such a way that you can not only watch it, but then you can like create a reply video and add your voice into the mix as well. So I'm not so good on the technical back end necessarily, but I have some people helping me out. So see if I get, see if I get that up and and ready by the time of the conference, but yeah. Thank you so much for the work and everything you're doing. It was wonderful to meet you. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much for the opportunity.